Howdy, everybody, and welcome to another edition of An Evening with Dead Pit. I'm your super creepy host, Uncle Bill. You're not creepy. I'm creepy. You are creepier than me. I'm creepier than fuck. This is going to be spooky. Yeah. It's episode six. Or if we want to be really creative with, you know, all the monster kids and stuff, we could say, it's episode 666. Oh, my God. That wouldn't be accurate. Yeah, this is The Evening with Dead Pit Lives. Yeah. Probably coming back a little bit um, early. We normally probably wouldn't do a show this close. Yeah, I mean. We don't want people getting used to this. No, because it's taken us, what, three years to do six episodes? That's true. Uh. Um, But, yeah, I mean, we... There was some news that, that went down just a couple of days ago uh, where we were like, well, we have to do something and, and, and do it rather quickly. Yeah, honestly, like I was trying to figure out on the way up here, like what I was going to talk about, because there's really, in my opinion, there's only four guys that are iconic. If you want to compare it to wrestling, then you could say like The Rock, Stone Cold, uh, Hogan and maybe the Macho Man or something like that. Right. But in the world of horror, there's four guys. We lost one of them already, which was Wes Craven. You got John Carpenter, you got Toby Hooper, and you've got George Romero. And out of all those four people, my personal favorite and probably my favorite director in general was mm. always Romero. Well, the the thing about Romero as well is, of all the classic um, directors of that period, he's one of the only ones that you can really say that he created the genre, like the subgenre, I guess, which were the zombie, you know, the modern day zombie movies. Um, but before we talk about his career, um, you know, he um, passed away on. Was it Sunday? I think it was Sun. This past Sunday, I found Sunday. out about it on Sunday. Yeah, I think that I'm was. I'm pretty sure it was yeah. early in the morning on Sunday, this past Sunday. Uh, I think it was the 16th, and uh, he had a brief but aggressive battle with lung cancer, mm-hmm. and uh, they said that he died quietly uh, with his family at home. Uh, he was listening to uh, the score on one of his favorite films, which was 1952's *The Quiet Man* with his wife Suzanne. Uh, and, uh, the daughter, uh, his daughter, Tina. So, uh, yeah, very, uh, I don't know, fitting that, uh, you know, I, I mean, film was very, very important to him evidently, you know. It is. It's kind of like, so, what, I mean, if you're a true cinephile, whatever you want to call it, then I guess that's what you would most want to be around is, you know, film scores and, and things like that. Um, yeah, honestly, like, nobody that has ever passed away since we've been doing the show has been more kind of uh, hurtful than this to me. Um, And it's, I don't think it was a, it said aggressive. I don't think this was a sudden thing or anything, though. I mean, I think Romero was almost, how old was he? Almost 80. 77, I think yeah. he said. So... I mean, this is not like he didn't live a full life or anything like that, but still, True. he's one of those guys where he's always around. Like he's, yeah, he's always like most of the conventions. He's always making movies. He was still making movies like when he passed away, or getting ready to make movies. As far as I know, it's just one of those things where he's always 
through the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s, the 2000s, always been doing something. Like, he's never been, he's yeah, never been in the background. I mean, it's an amazing career the man had starting, you know, in the in the late 60s, like we were saying. And, you know, up until um, the last film that he directed was uh, just, what, seven years ago, eight years ago, mm -hmm. uh, the Survival of the Dead movie yep. that came out. So, I mean, it's it's kind of crazy to think that, you know, a filmmaker's career is spread that. There's not too many that had that long of an active career and was pretty active throughout, you know, most of the years that he was, you know, making films. It's crazy. He didn't take too long of a vacation on any of them. No. And also, just honestly, I didn't know him personally. Um, I mean, we knew some people that knew him personally, but... Um, in my interactions with him, I think I've met him three times overall. And in my interactions with him, he's always been like the nicest guy. Plus we interviewed him at one point in time. Yeah. And he, that was, a, that was a great interview. It's like one of the highlights of doing the show in my opinion. Right. But I, just on a personal level, I feel like he was probably the most approachable of any of those four guys that I just mentioned. But. Probably. I mean, the, um, the thing I remember about when we interviewed him, and it was funny because these two interviews, which are probably my top two, were done within the span of, what, two weeks? Yeah, we blew our we, load early up. Yeah, we did those two interviews <laughs> in the span of two weeks. The other one was the John Carpenter interview, which nobody ever, ever, ever saw coming, <laughs> including us. Yeah. And then we got familiar with, uh, you know, we got friendly with our good buddy Michael Slipcase Felcher who got us in contact, you know, with Romero, gave us his, his home phone number. He lived in Canada. I remember this just like it was yesterday because on Skype, you got, uh, with the service that we had, we had unlimited calling in the United States. Yeah. We bought like $10 worth of Skype credit for international calls just to call George Romero. We, st I mean, we were just expecting, you know, oh, good. Well, maybe we'll get 20 minutes with him. At, at, yeah, we always kind of expected that. Yeah. yeah. And it was like the unedited interview was close to like two hours. Like it was well over 90 minutes. Uh, the, the show is up. It's still on the archive, uh, 2007. It was in, um, I think it was in October of that year. Um, we did throughout the whole month, those Romero shows, we aired them. Um, and yeah, I mean, as far as the interview goes, definitely one of my top two of all time doing the show. And he was just a really, really humble, nice down to earth guy. You would never think that, you know, he's responsible for so many classic movies, uh, horror movies from, you know, we're talking about the dead trilogy creep shows another one of the absolute favorites a personal favorite of mine that you know a lot of people kind of laugh at it's monkey shines that movie it's always it's not a bad movie yeah. always freaked me out as a kid and has an iconic poster as well so i mean he's he's done uh, it, it did it it ruined my day i was having a good day and i saw this that come out about romero the first thing i was thinking of was oh it's a hoax or something you know, because you see that all the time. Mm -hmm. But then I saw that the website, it came from latimes.com, and I was like, oh, shit. You know, so. Well, I'm sure we'll get into this more when we start talking about his films, uh, his filmography, but 
Um, there's a couple things I really appreciated about him as a filmmaker, more so than like, let's say, you know, Toby Hooper or uh, John Carpenter like that. And really the biggest thing was you could tell that he came from a background where it was like a background of kind of like paranoia, distrust for the man mm-hmm. and government and money and all that kind of stuff. You could tell his, his background was more of like a hippie-ish kind of background. The way right. that he made his films, there was always some sort of, you know, he didn't, he didn't play by the stereotypical rules in the first in not living dead. There's a black guy. That's the lead, which for that time was completely insane. And then as it progresses, you know, through history and through his films and things like that, he just kept trying to kind of up stakes, whether it be like explicit violence or whether it be like casting a woman as the lead in the, in the third film, like Mm -hmm. day of the dead. He was just one of those guys that he did not really do anything anybody thought was conventional i guess that's what i'm looking for and another thing about him too that i always appreciate this is probably why he is my favorite filmmaker is there was always a point to the movies like there was never like a lot of people will make movies which i don't mind a movie that's gratuitously violent just for being violent i honestly don't like there's a shit ton of movies like yeah those are always fun yeah friday 13th is like that but every one of his movies Maybe the exception, well, I don't even know. Maybe the exception of some of the ones he did, you know, Stephen King books and stuff like that, um, are, they have a message. They have some sort of point to them. They have some sort of, like, statement that he was trying to make about society or about, you know, money or about the government or something like that. And I thought the way that he did that was always really, really brilliant because he didn't do it. Like, if you're going to do something like that, you could make a movie about, you know, corruption or something like that. Just a straight drama. Mm-hmm. But he always did it in a way where you thought you were watching one type of film, but you're actually watching another type of film. Like, he kind of slid all that stuff underneath. Right. Like a horror movie. But, yeah, I mean, um, definitely understand, like, as far as the the idea, I mean, and, and I don't know, I'm sure it was it was discussed in the interview with Night of the Living Dead and how that all came to be and how he got local actors and, and all that to participate in the movie. Very similar to another classic that we've talked about and we'll probably touch on again in the future, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, how it kind of all fell into place and they, almost by accident, because Dwayne Jones, from what I understand, it was just coincidence that he was a black yeah. man. I yeah. mean, it wasn't, it wasn't in the script that, hey... You know, they made a, a a classic, an all-time classic. And I remember the early days from when I was first discovering horror movies at my, I'll always remember this, at my grandmother's house. At that young age, I didn't really, I wasn't like into like black and white old movies and stuff like that. Not a Living Dead was the very first one that I really got into and I really appreciated. Yeah, I think that it was the very first one a lot of people got into because they showed it constantly because of the copyright thing. Like anybody could show it. It was on like everything. Yeah, I mean, that's probably uh, the most well-known Romero movie for sure because it's like, I mean, it's, it's released on hundreds and probably thousands of, you know, DVD labels over the years. Um, but yeah, I mean that movie, 
we always say this, like when we talk about the most copied, ripped off movies of all time, Night of the Living Dead is right up there. It has to be it's top, gotta be, top yeah. one, top two, top three. Definitely. You, if you're looking at it, like, I don't, I won't even say that. Like Halloween didn't really create that genre of like slasher movies no. because there were slasher movies like uh, there were Italian movies and things like that. A lot before. of people will think maybe Psycho was the one that yeah created maybe the maybe slasher. closer to that too. But I mean, there's always been precedent for a lot of these movies that we always talk about. Yeah. But I don't think there was for that. I mean, there had been zombie movies, but zombie movies at that time meant like Martian zombie-ish kind of things or voodoo zombie kind of things. But the way that when you talk about zombie movies, if you're explaining a zombie movie to somebody, what you're really explaining is Romero's zombie movies. Yeah. Everything came from that. Like the idea of shooting them in the head to stop them, the idea that they're cannibals, yeah, all that shit came from that one movie, which has spawned thousands of movies and a TV show that's probably like the number one TV show right now right. in the world. Right. Also, like the thing that I liked about Night of the Living Dead is how really the it, it had the anti Hollywood ending. Yeah. As yeah. well. Um, which, you know, a lot of people uh, I mean, I guess the talking head interviews and stuff, they'll bring that up as well. But, yeah, that was the thing that really hit home to me. Uh, my pizza's warming up, by the way. Um, as as a kid, is it was, like, very, like, it wasn't the norm. Because, you know, Hollywood or any movie that comes out, you know, from a major studio um, growing up always had that, that happy ending. But not so much with this one. No. And it's weird and I don't think anybody listening to this has never seen Night Living Dead, but it's weird when you kill your lead in any movie. Like, And in that way, actually, the Night Living Dead does have a lot in common with Psycho because you, in the beginning, you kind of think that Barbara is going to be the yeah, lead. Yeah, the survivor. And that ain't the case whatsoever in that movie. More so the case in the remake. But, but then you think that you know Ben is going to be the lead and that, and, like, he's escaped almost the night and everything, and then, you know, bam! And then it's just like, uh, we got another one, boys. All right, let's go. Yeah. And it's like, fuck. <laughs> it is like you that. Know? Yeah, at the end of it, you're like, god damn, so, that's, that's still pretty harsh if you watch it to this day, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Not Living Dead 2 is one of those movies, like, I'm sure, like, some company has it out on Blu-ray, but we really, really need, like, a like a 4k remastered yeah. version of that out because that's an all-time classic and it deserves it. And it's, it's funny because, um, I'm fairly certain that he did the majority of his editing and TV work and stuff in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Now, um, I went out there, this has probably been, it's been almost what, two years ago now, I think a year and a half ago, something like that. Pennsylvania is a weird state because we went through Pittsburgh. That's the first place we went to. And it's like a city. It's a legit, you know, like any other major city. We drove, I don't know if it was, it wasn't that far. It seemed like it had to be 20 or 30 minutes or something like that. And the town that we drove into, Evan City, I was like, we're fucking home. It looks exactly like around here. It's like a nothing kind of you know farm town with the stores look like they're from the 50s nothing's really been changed or anything like that 
and you drive up there and then you really start to realize i mean this guy the area that he's from is kind of similar to where we were from like i mean you go outside of pittsburgh you're basically in the sticks Mm -hmm. and the idea that he just got a group of people together drove out to essentially what would be pike county and filmed a fucking movie like that where it's classic and you go into those places and you get like this weird feeling of like this nostalgia like this was actually shot here like we're standing because nothing's changed like that area the cemetery is exactly the same well yeah i mean most of the time cemeteries are not gonna yeah that's the thing is not they're normally not going to change unless something you know well the farmhouse is the same except for the fact you can't fucking get to it because like there's a guy that lives right in front of it that has like a no trespassing and you'll be shot get off my property yeah. fucker the bridge that the uh police and stuff come over when there is that's all that stuff is still there and um it's just like you step back in this this portal where all these things like have been filmed but i always thought it was amazing that he just it would almost be like if me you and goose got together and went out somewhere and made like a film that was iconic for the rest of time like around here it's basically what it looks like Yeah. yeah so i mean and the thing is too is like that movie is pretty much shot in one spot yeah you know aside from the beginning and some of the some of the uh, exterior shots and stuff, which are very few and far between. There's not many of them. So, yeah, I mean, Not Living Dead, like that movie alone, had it stopped there, that's still a legendary film, you know. I mean, had he never done anything else after 1968, there would still be a story on LATimes.com about George Romero passing away uh, on Sunday. But no, I mean, it was just beginning there. I mean, he was doing some experimental shit in the 70s, probably smoking some of that good stuff. I mean, no doubt. I know he was, yeah. Yeah, with There's Always Vanilla and Season of the Witch, which I never could really get into those movies. Um, I know that Arrow was coming out with a box set of, um, what are they, they're wording it like, After Night Before Dawn. Trilogy. I have heard about that. Yeah, yeah it's going to have always, there's always Vanilla, Season of the Witch, and the Crazies, uh, Blu-ray and a Blu-ray box set. Um, which, I mean, the Crazies, I really like the Crazies. Uh, now, that's more of, I mean, it, I guess it does have some horror elements to it, kind of, mm-hmm. but it's more like, I don't know, kind of like a, like an action, you know, yeah, I mean, that's, it's not really a strict horror film. There's a lot of films that I guess around that time were coming out, uh, like I Drink Your Blood and all that stuff, that were kind of these weird people are getting contaminated and going crazy and things like this. Right. But I'd say that's that's got to be right up there among my favorite films of his because, once again, like that was only, what, probably five years off from Not Living Dead? Mm-hmm. I think it came out in 73. Yeah. And... You've got like another movie that's talking about again. It's kind of, I mean, it, it's kind of a takeoff on the zombie movies a little bit, but yeah. not really. I it's mean, it's more the, really about. It's more realistic. It's more yeah. about the government, really, yeah. and about like what would happen if this Trixie, you know, chemical that was used got, gets out and ends up contaminating all these water supply and stuff like that, and ends up these people start going crazy and killing mm-hmm. their neighbors and things like this, but. I mean, that's the beauty part about that movie, though, is that it was realistic as opposed to zombies and, and ghouls or whatever it was they were calling them at that time. And it's low budget. 
Not there's no actors in. I think the only thing those actors did in that movie was be in other Romero movies, like after that point. But it's a great film. I don't think people ever appreciated it. I think it got some recognition when the remake came out. I think that might have been the thing that kind of saved that movie from being just completely forgotten about for years. Mm-hmm. But it is an excellent movie, an excellent kind of commentary about what was going on. It's another movie that does not have a happy ending or a great kind of ending. And another movie that was shot around Evan City, too, by the right. way. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think most of his films for up through almost, what, the early 90s were shot around in Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh or that yeah. area. So... So anyway, if The Crazies was almost his most underrated film because of the remake, Mm -hmm. then probably his most underrated film was the next film, which was Martin. Yeah, there was a... I can't remember the damn name of it, but I'll have to look it up. I think IFC made this documentary in like the late 90s. And I didn't even know, I didn't know what Martin was. I'd never heard of it before. But I knew who George Romero was, and I was like, they did a whole piece on it. Um, which, I mean, it had a lot of the, like, Wes Craven was in it. I think they talked to Toby Hooper in it. Um, and Romero was in it. And, you know, this is when Romero had the, he kind of had the um, Jackson Brown hair, you know, where it was kind of down <laughs> in his yeah. face and stuff. And he was, he was heavier then. And they were talking, they had like a whole 15 minute segment talking about that movie, Martin. And I didn't know what it was. I'd never seen it before. Uh, but I mean, that documentary made me want to go out and seek it out. And uh, I think it was on HBO or Cinemax or something like that one night, probably a month or two after I'd seen the documentary. And I watched it pretty much, and I hardly ever do this. I, don't, I, I can remember it kind of clearly. I'd watched it in the dark almost in the living room and they were talking in the documentary and it really is true like about how that movie is it could easily have been a silent film mm-hmm. because there's very very little dialogue in it and everything like all the emotions and stuff he kind of captured with you know the cinematography and just the pace of the movie and the acting in it it's got to yeah it's got to be like his most kind of european style film to whereas it's set mostly like a drama or something like a, a period the, the funny thing about it is and maybe it maybe i'm wrong maybe we'll there'll be another movie where this will come true but i think that's his only movie that's like a character piece where it's based really around john amplis yeah like the whole movie is that guy mm-hmm. and if it's the funny thing about that is if John Amplis wasn't a great actor, that movie would be fucked because everything in that movie is him reacting to everything around him, like the world. Right. And, yeah. So, I mean, um, Martin though, I think is, is, is definitely his most underrated movie. It's gotta um, be. Yeah. You, I mean, I don't even own it on DVD cause I've never seen it anywhere to buy on. I mean, I guess you could order it, but I've got it. I've got the Lionsgate version that came out. You yeah, remember there was one of them that went out of print as well. This one's uh, got like the most horrible fucking cover. It's like a yeah. black and white washed out kind of. Didn't anchor Bay released one too. Like I think it was the first one that came out. I think the may Bay have, one, yeah. Yeah. Back when anchor Bay was releasing every fucking thing. Um, but Martin is very like any, if anybody's never, uh, hasn't seen it, 
it's it's totally different than anything else that he made. Like it's definitely, I don't know, it's it's its own beast, if it's you will, its own thing. Yeah. Um, so, but I always loved the the movie. It's been a while since I've seen it, but yeah. Well, the one thing about the movie that really sets it apart because he didn't just do like a straight up uh, vampire film, because I mean you could easily done something like that. This was a movie really where you're trying to figure out is this guy really like a vampire or is he just some fucking like psychologically disturbed killer? Yeah. And that's kind of the whole thing. Like we'd always heard of the the vampires that just, you know, suck the blood and everything else. Well, this motherfucker used damn syringes and shit. Yeah. So yeah, you couldn't really tell what his deal was. It seems to really kind of be a film, if you go back and watch it, just kind of about not like loneliness and not fitting in and kind of desperation. And I guess to the point where you psychologically just kind of snap. Yeah. I mean, the truth is though, it's probably not a film for everybody though. I could definitely see why people wouldn't get into it. Oh, there'll be a ton of people that won't like yeah. this movie. Cause it's very, very slow and it's not like, I guess it has horror elements to it, but I mean, not that much really. I mean, most no. of it's just like, like you were saying, it's like a character driven movie about what the fuck's going on with this kid. Really. I mean, there's certain movies like that throughout, like, time, uh, movies that we watch where if you don't have patience, if you're one of those people that, like, really hyper cuts and, like, you know, Resident Evil-style movies right. where shit's coming at you like a thousand miles an hour. Fate of the Furious. <laughs> now in theaters with Vin Diesel. The funny thing is They're I tried like, to... They should fight. Why do I not get those jobs? I don't know. I've wondered that myself. This time... Join the crew in space as they get furiouser and faster. Furiouser. Furiouser. Um, I actually tried to watch that movie, by the way. It's horrible. I don't know if you knew that. but I gave up. Like, I actually enjoyed most of the first, like, I don't know, eight of them or whatever that come out. <laughs> first eight, did you? <laughs> but, like, I just can't keep up with them. They come, out of, they, they come out every goddamn year, like, at least. Yeah, they do. It's yeah. kind of become the new, like, Saw franchise or something. So. I don't know. But anyway, but that's a weird segue back to Martin. But yeah. Um, yeah if, I, w- if I wonder you, if anyone's mentioned John Amplis and Vin Diesel within the same. I'm betting that's the first time in history yeah. that it's ever happened. Only here at Dead Pit. So. If you're a fan of those type of movies, though, you're not going to like Martin. You have to have like the patience to appreciate a film that's basically built around acting. It could very easily be a play or something like that, too. Like, it's not. Right. I mean, there's not a lot of set pieces or anything. And it's, it's very dramatic maybe overly dramatic in some spots you could say but it's a great film though so i mean continuing on from here the next film after that is a lot of people's favorite um zombie film of all time favorite romero film of all time it's another movie that even though it kind of ripped off not a living dead it continued the genre of the of the dead trail what would become the dead trilogy the second chapter and that is done of the dead. So really this movie is like ground zero for me in terms of horror films. And this is the movie. And you got to keep in mind that both of us watched a shit ton of horror films when we were kids, but this is the movie that stuck with me the most out of all those movies. And probably the movie that I watched the most when I was growing up as well as like later on. And I just, it's it is if anybody ever asked me you know what's my favorite horror film of all time this is always the one that i say and it's probably my favorite movie of all time 
because to me it combines everything that you like about movies it's an action movie it's a drama it's a gore whatever you want to call that like just a gore fest of a movie um it's probably and i think people really forget this that is probably one of the most well acted horror films from the four people involved the main right. like four characters I can't think of another film that was that low budget. That movie was made for $1.5 million, by the way. I can't think of a movie that had that kind of budget where the entire cast was that good together. And especially Ken Forey. Like, I don't know what the fuck happened to Ken Forey after that because I never saw him be that good again. But during that movie, he is, he could have been like a lead actor, like a Hollywood actor. Right. Like he was that good. And I thought Scott Reiner was the same, too. I thought he was... I mean, they all gelled well together, though, yeah. too. I mean, it was like a good ensemble group of, of actors, actresses. I remember um, the very first convention that either of us ever went to was the, Night of, or the Dawn of the Dead reunion. It was the first time that they'd gotten those... Galen Ross never does fucking conventions, by no, the way. No, she still doesn't, really. Yeah. Uh, so it was the first time that they'd got the, those people together, I think, since, like, not long after the film came out. Like, it was, like, the first day ever or something that they marketed it as. And uh, to see those characters up in person. And, and, and then, I mean, I know it had been probably, what, 20, at that point it had been, what, 25 years or something since they shot the the film. But... Mostly, they look kind of the same, aside from David Emge didn't. Like he, no. looked, he didn't look like the same guy. <laughs> he did. But you could definitely, I mean, uh, back then, uh, what was that? 50, that was, what, 13 years ago? 2004. Yeah, crazy. But, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like you're meeting these characters that you that you went on this. And Dawn of the Dead is like a roller coaster ride of a movie, really. It is. It, I think that's the best part of it is... It goes from, and this is one thing about Romero that I really appreciated too. His, I, w- I remember watching a documentary where he talked about learning how to edit, and he talked about he learned on one of the old school kind of editing machines where you actually had to chop and splice like all the the film strips together and run them through the machine. And never more has editing played a bigger part in a movie being good than this movie because. It's fast in the places it needs to be fast. It's slow in the places that it needs to be slow. It's got a good mixture of, like, all those things. Like, you go through the whole first half where shit's just blowing up and people are getting killed and, like, they go through the apartments and the rednecks and all that. Yeah. Then you get to the point where they take over the mall after all that shit's happened and everything slows down to where they're trying to, like, live there. And there's, like, this period of about 20 minutes where it's just normal. Like, the, the pace and everything's normal. And then the bikers come and shit like picks back up. And then the whole end is it's, it's perfectly kind of spaced out in that way. Yeah. It's also like, I always thought it was entertaining to see what kind of shit was in a mall in the 70s. That was probably one of the best parts of it. Yeah. yeah. Cause I always like, I was like, wow. I mean, even to think that they had like at that point in time, I think the shopping malls and stuff were just kind of taken off the indoor shopping malls. Like yeah, that. 78, yeah, probably 76 yeah. or something when he started filming. When I was a kid, and people kind of forget about this too, but that was one of those movies where one of the best parts about watching that movie was you could imagine what it would be like if you took over a mall. Like, you know, like as a kid, if you had access to every fucking store yeah. or anything like that that 
had anything in it and you were just kind of there. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of kids nowadays probably don't realize this, but yeah, there's a scene, I guess, where he's playing, I can't remember the name of the game, but they, there's arcades in the mall back then. I can remember this when I was a kid up until probably what, probably 15, 16 years ago, there were arcades and malls. Yeah. So arcades I mean, everywhere. I mean, for that matter, yeah. in every store. Yeah. So, you know, that movie is an all time classic as well. Um, it's a fucking shame that, you know, the producer who owns the movie kind of is holding it ransom for the highest bidder to release it on Blu-ray or whatever the fuck he's going to do with it. I know there's rumors he wanted to do a, do a 3d version of it a few years ago. We were talking about that to, kind of get it that's when 3d was lighting the world on fire for that six months or whatever the fuck it was <laughs> yeah. everybody's wanting to re-release shit in 3d but the movies i mean it came out on blu-ray initially on anchor bay entertainment uh back in what 2007 i, I think 2008 i couldn't even tell and you then now. that went out of print quickly and anchor bay lost the rights to the movie and nobody has released that movie since yeah the funny thing is, I'm, I think I have the Anchor Bay version, but the version that I actually got that's the best version is the Arrow version, somehow or another. The Arrow version's out of print as well. Like, if you have either one, the Arrow or the Anchor Bay, both of those fetch high dollar on eBay. Yeah. Um. I mean, what the hell can you say about that movie? You can't really say. I mean, what hasn't been said already... It's an all-time classic. The score is fucking amazing in it. It's another thing. The Goblin score, yeah. Yeah. Um, it's... Okay, what other movie from that time period has... How many different fucking versions does it have? It has three? It has yeah. a director's cut, the European theatrical, cut. and the European cut. Yeah. Well, I just love the whole story about how that movie gets started, too, with Argento telling him to come to Italy and write the movie and all this shit. Like, I mean... That's got to be one of the coolest kind of origin stories for a movie like that, where one of the best directors at that time, who had done Suspiria, you know, prior to that, yeah, invites the fucking one of the best American directors to come live with him and write what would be Dawn of the Dead, yeah, and finance that movie. Um, but the movie itself, I it, to me, like I said, it's like the it's whatever you want to call it, the fucking the ground zero, the piece de resistance, whatever is the closest thing I can get to a perfect horror film. Yeah, and the fun, f fun thing about that, too, is there's all kinds of, like, legendary stories about how these movies came out. Nobody wanted to... They, I think it got an X rating. I mean, I could see that. something like that. 78, I could do So, that. he kind of um, danced around the ratings board and released it as not rated. Yeah. So, it got out to more... A little bit more theaters. But as far as like a nationwide distribution on it, I don't think it got, you know, there was that many movie theaters that showcased it just based on it not being rated and then initially rated X when it was rated. Yeah, it's one of those movies that did pick up a lot more steam, I think, when it hit the uh, like home video and midnight screenings and things like that. Well, Night Living Dead was the same way, really. Yeah, I think it was one of those movies, too, that probably back in the day, like word of mouth spread and, hey, they're showing it at this drive-in, you know, Fucking four hours from here, let's go. Yeah. Well, yeah. word of mouth definitely definitely spread through uh, Italy because fucking Lucio Fulci ripped uh, the shit. Yeah, the Dilramello. Fuck, yeah. He put the blood and the, all the shit in the pepperoni. I bet that was kind of the mating for that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, 
continuing on, though, with the, the career of George A. Romero, 1981, he you know gave us a horse of a totally different color, evidently, with Knight Riders, which is a, a, another totally different concept for a movie. And evidently, this was a thing back then. Uh, you know, he had all kinds of, and it still is a thing, I guess. I see people from time to time on Facebook doing reenactments for whatever else. They're going, they're having the town fair reenactment of, yeah, I of know, 1860 yeah. or <laughs> actually personally know a guy, of Middle Creek or whatever the fuck it is. I personally know a guy and I always, I don't know, like I know it's weird to call, like to be a nerd about one thing and call another nerd about another thing weird, but he's one of them guys that dresses up in the full like Renaissance shit where he puts the knight outfit on and the helmet and has the broadsword and goes and does like the whatever the shit that that is like where they go to you know renaissance conventions and things like that yeah i don't know man that just creeps me out <laughs> like yeah i mean the, the concept is though it's like um you know it's it's kind of like a uh fight in in with these group of reenact like medieval reenactment uh, Tom Savini's like the bad guy in it. Uh, and then Ed Harris, b- before he was famous, was in it. So, and I think Ed Harris uh, was a Pittsburgh actor at the time. And that's I think how he was. He was yeah. yeah. That's how he got, uh, got involved in this movie. And this is probably uh, Tom Savini's biggest role in, uh, in a Romero movie that I can think of. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'm, I may say that this might be actually his most underrated film. Like it's gotta be a, a close between Martin and this film, because the one thing I noticed when I watched this film was this seemed to be like the most personal movie that he ever made. Like everything in this movie kind of seems to be directed at his, I don't want to say his life, but kind of his views on things. Like it's a, it's basically about a band of people that live out in like this hippie ish kind of commune that do yeah. these kind of stunt shows and things like that. And they're kind of disconnected from society reality. and reality and everything else. Yeah, and just everything about that movie felt like something that he would believe in around that time, which would have been, I guess, the early, yeah, or, yeah late 70s, I guess. Um, I think it's... Definitely a, a far departure, though. From it is. It's not, it's not a... Uh, I don't know how the fuck to classify that movie. I don't either. Yeah, there's not too many movies like that one. But it's a good movie. It's actually pretty good. It the is. Music some, in it's awesome. I love the music. It's got some great stunts. It's got some great music. You got it. all these like people that are releasing soundtracks to like shit that I don't even remember the fucking soundtrack to it. Like I remember the sound the soundtrack to Creep Show is fucking awesome. Yes. Why are they releasing the vinyl soundtrack for Creep Show Two? Do you remember one fucking song from Creep Show Two? No. Garrett, show to have a soundtrack. I really don't know. It does, and there's a company that's releasing it. Um, I I posted on. Of course, you don't have Facebook anymore, motherfucker. No. I posted it on Facebook because it's cool looking. It actually was. Uh, I hate to get off on this, but I want to get back around to it. Hang on a second. Uh, where it's the um, uh, the episode the. Um, with a lake. What would they call that episode? Oh, fuck. I'm, I'm at a blank. You know what I'm, you yeah, know what I'm saying? The, the one with the sludge and stuff. The splooge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> splooge. That's what we'll call that That's episode. That's kind of what it is. Um, where the, uh, it's a clear vinyl and it's got that black shit right, you know, like the splooge from that episode. The splooge right in the middle of it. But why don't, 
Okay, you're releasing Creep Show 2, which evidently Garrett was telling me it has the Lex Luger WCW theme on it because <laughs> that was actually played in the movie. Is like, you remember in the, uh, the car that was playing the theme songs? Was it? Yeah, it was playing the Lex Luger WCW <laughs> theme song. What? I never noticed that before, but he insisted. He said, yeah, that's the WCW Lex Luger song. You got to be fucking kidding yeah, me. I'm going to have to go, back, go and, back. Yeah, yeah. Have to go back and check that. That's one of the songs that, that uh, the car plays, you know, while they're in the raft. That's what the fucking yeah, the raft. called. The yeah. raft. God damn. But, um. No, I, n- yeah. I never noticed that. You can release a goddamn soundtrack for Night Ride, uh, for uh, Creep Show 2. Are too, you talking not- about, like, the fucking songs, like, yeah. It plays that. What the fuck? Yeah. I gotta see that now. Yeah. So, but yeah, we don't have Night Rider soundtrack, but you do have fucking Creep Show. T- Seriously, I'm gonna buy it now just for that. I want to fucking hear Lex you Luger's theme you on pose vinyl. Like Lex Luger in the mirror. <laughs> oh God. So, yeah, I really like the soundtrack though to Night Riders, and I think uh, let me look on here. I actually think that John Harrison was the one that did the soundtrack as well. I think a little known fact about that movie too has got Patricia Tallman in it, who would be Barbara in the Night no, of the Dead. It's actually Donald Rubenstein. Oh, really? It's Richard. That's Dirty Dick's brother. I think her and Savini were dating at that time. I know they dated somewhere around that time. But... Savini dated about everybody back in the day. <laughs> that's not true. That's thing. true. Yeah. He's like one of those creepy old men that's like he's like seventy years old and still has a girlfriend. He does, and actually, like, he still tries to look like he's in his 30s. Yeah. He burns that just for men up. <laughs> so. <laughs> he's just You're got- not fooling anybody, Savini. Come on. It looks like you took some of that fucking black spray paint to your beard. Really? I bet he's got, like, a two-gallon oil drum. He just dipped his whole fucking hand <laughs> in. Yeah, he, you're not really fooling anybody, so. Oh, I love Savini. Not really, but, I mean, it is a show about Romero. I don't want to talk too much shit about Savini, I guess. Yeah. So, continuing on the next year, probably one of his more mainstream releases, and uh, definitely one of my top, you know, two, three Romero projects of all time, and that would be the uh, the movie Creep Show that he did. Uh, he worked with uh, Stephen King closely on this one. It was based on an original screenplay by Stephen King, who was red hot at the time. I mean, everything that he was doing was mm-hmm. fucking amazing. Well, if you look at it through the pattern here with Romero, is every one of those movies leading up to this was an independent movie. Like, he didn't do the. John Carpenter thing where he did Halloween and then somebody gave him like a shit ton of money and he was doing, you know, studio films and things right. like that. It was Not Living Dead and then the only other movie that had a budget and it was only because of Argento was fucking Dawn of the Dead. And the rest of those movies he was just out making in yeah, around Pittsburgh. Some money, yeah. do it. So Creep shows the first time where they're like, all right, <clears throat> let's see if we give this guy a budget, if he can actually make, you know, like a big budget or a bigger budget anyway, like studio film. Mm-hmm. And I don't know anybody that doesn't think this movie is amazing. I'd love to meet the motherfucker that doesn't like this movie because it's widely regarded as probably the best anthology movie ever made. Yeah, it's got a really cool like art style to it as well that um, like where it kind of blended the comic book in with the real, you know, the live action and stuff. And uh, just the, I mean, pretty much all the stories in it are just awesome. Like, 
Um, I've probably seen that movie so many times over the years that like, you know, when you get started watching something, you can't think of it offhand, but when you start watching it, you can like, quote it. Yeah. You know, and it's one of those movies. I've just seen it a fucking million times. Like the, my favorite one though, and it surprises a lot of people is the, uh, lonesome death of Jordy Barrel. Like that. I don't know why I just like goofy shit in movies. And that was like the goofy, like kind of funny slash dark, you know, dark one comedy. Of my, one of my favorite, one of the favorite things that ever happened, like in terms of seeing anybody is, um, so we were at the Stephen King book signing and the speech and I, I, lectures, more like what he gave, I guess. So somebody, it gets to the Q and A part, and somebody asked him about Creep Show. I was like, that really, you only got there's only about four people that got to ask questions. There's probably a line of a hundred people right. that were wanting to ask questions. So like, the only, one of the only people that got to ask ask a fucking question about Creep Show. And I just remember he sat there and thought about it for a second, and then he did the fucking, he goes, meteor shit. <laughs> yeah. I can remember as a young kid just cracking up at that. I was like, that's just fucking killer. I mean, yeah, it is. It's just him. It's how goofy he fucking is in that role. And then his dad in the mirror. Like, yeah. that whole that whole thing is amazing. Him having the flashbacks and all that. Or the uh, daydreams or whatever it is. <clears throat> Um, yeah. I, you could pick any of those. I mean, I think probably the least favorite for everybody is the Roach. Right. Uh, That's the that was the last. They're creeping one, up on it? you. Is I think. that the last one? Yeah, that was so, the last yeah. one in the movie. Yeah. Um, but all the rest of them are amazing. Like every one yeah. of them. Father's Day's, right? Amazing. They're all great. Yeah. The um, briefly, um, yeah. Back to Dawn of the Dead, though. Uh, Galen Ross has a very very small role. In Creep Show as well, a lot of people don't realize that where yeah. she was the, she was the in the, involved in a love triangle with Leslie Nielsen and Ted Danson. <laughs> it's the weirdest love triangle yeah. ever. Yeah, uh, the naked gun and the guy from the dude from Cheers. Yep. Um. Yeah. What the fuck does Ted Danson do anymore? By the way, you know, I was thinking about that the other day because somebody brought up Ted Danson. And I was like, what the fuck has he done? Yeah, he hasn't done anything. I mean, at least like, you know, you. You know, you uh, you see Burt Reynolds at least, even though he can barely get around. I mean, you see him like on the you know red carpet every once in a while or something like that. Ted I mean, Dance is probably living in fucking even, South Dakota somewhere. Or something even like Burt Reynolds had like a comeback with Boogie Nights and all that. Ted Dancing, uh, fucking, I couldn't tell you. He must be living off the three men and a baby bucks or something. That's like, true. What the fuck? Yeah, he's he's vacationing with Steve Gutenberg. <laughs> Gutenberg. Oh. So, uh, yeah, that was Creep Show. I mean, hell, what else can you? Everybody loves Creep Show, though, like you were saying. They do. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, shit. Continuing on, uh, the, uh, he took a three year hiatus and then came back with the part three of the Dead, the original Dead trilogy in Day of the Dead. And uh, this was another one that I got like really hooked on this movie for a while and probably watched it too many damn times. It's a great movie. I love it. I think the characters in it are hilarious um, as well, and they're just memorable characters. He kind of tried to recreate uh, Day of the, or Dawn of the Dead a little bit, um, but it was more of a serious tone. The movie, the movie was. I enjoy Day of the Dead. It, it the gore in it is amazing. I mean, I don't think you got as far as prosthetics and uh, just practical effects and stuff, whatever they were using then. It didn't get any better than, you know, 
after 1985, they started to try to fuck with it using like either either the animatronic stuff or the CG stuff, like Return of the Living Dead and Day of the Dead, the the spe- special makeup effects and stuff in those movies. It just didn't get to me. It didn't get any better than than those movies, especially with that one because you kind of got the whole origins of K and B too with yeah. Terrell being there and then Savini teaching him and like that and you can weird thing about it is if you look back at that movie and you watch The Walking Dead now you can kind of see the special effects basically are the same it's like an updated version yeah like they're doing the same shit like as they did in that movie the same it looks like the same kind of appliances but uh, that's a movie when I watched it I watched it when I was a kid also and i can remember at that time being disappointed because it wasn't dawn of the dead like it was yeah in my mind it was supposed to be exactly like dawn of the dead did they release it on cassette like video cassette unrated or was it the rated version i remember watching it just like it is like i don't ever remember seeing a version that was edited that's what i was trying to think because i had the laser disc of it that was unrated but I, i can't remember if the vhs was or wasn't the, whichever one I watched because it was exactly the same as the movies that are released now. Um, God damn, though, man. That movie was brutal for 1985, even, like, in terms of the effects. Uh, the acting, I don't know. That might be the thing that's Probably over, overacting. A little bit. Little but bit. I think that that was kind of... That was kind of the point. I mean, at least for uh, the Captain Rhodes character. Well, that part's amazing. I'm talking yeah. about, like, everybody else. Like, that little son bitch that laughs... In the background throughout the whole thing, what was his name? Not uh, Gary Clark, but the other guy. Oh, it's yeah. Like constantly. Um, Rickles, what yeah, name? Yeah, he's like constantly that. fucking going on. It kind of just, I don't know, it's distracting. I really um, also love the score of Day of the Dead as well. Now, that was one that John Harrison did. He he continued, like, he did the score for Creep Show, which I love as well. Um, but he had a very synth 80s yeah. score going on in, in uh, Day of the Dead, and I think that that really, really um, commend. I guess it just added to, you know, added the more flavor to the sauce that was Day of the Dead, baby. To me, though, that movie, unlike um, Dawn of the Dead, where you had like a whole cast of people that were pretty memorable, to me, that movie is basically about uh, Joe Pilato. Mm-hmm. Like, I, when I watch that movie now, I want to really see his scenes because there's just something about him. He just fucking, he kills it. Like he's, he, there's something charismatic about him that draws you to that performance to whereas everybody else just seems to kind of be, you know, walking the, walking the, doing the paces and just kind of sleepwalking through it. But his performances, it is over the top, but in a great way, really. You know, um, the, um, Lori Cardell, who who was kind of the star of the movie too, like I always thought that she did a really good job in the movie. She and did. She it's didn't. Just... She didn't really go on to do anything really other than that I can think of. I mean, she probably did like stage acting and stuff like that. But yeah, I can I can equate that to kind of like Tombstone, where you got like Kurt Russell. He does a good enough job, and he's there. But Val Kilmer is really the reason why people watch Tombstone, and kind of the same thing. I was there for fucking Terry Alexander. (laughs) His Jamaican accent. That's a good story, too. It is, actually. uh, You want to go into that? Because we met, (laughs) I've met almost the entire cast of Day of the Dead as well. So, we're at some convention. Which one was it? It was one of the Whorehound shows. Yeah, had to be. And he's there, and we walk up to him, and we've, now keep in mind, 
we've read probably all these guys like AMD bios and right. shit up to this point. Right. So we know he's not from fucking Jamaica. But then, like, he goes, oh, man, good to meet ya. <laughs> What's like, your name? And I'm, I was like, well, fuck, he must be really fucking. Yeah, he really talks I mean, like hell. that. I thought, because we were making, I think we were even making fun. I was like, God, that's the worst fucking Jamaican accent I'd ever heard. <laughs> you know, and then he comes, oh, man, good. Oh, you like the movie, do you? Ha, ha, ha. He's doing the whole fucking yeah. thing. And we're like, well, we really fucked up. That guy's really Jamaican. Like, who yeah, I was like, well, fuck. I mean, hell, that must be a real Jamaican accent. And then I think it was Felcher. That we were talking to. He's like, oh, fuck. He pulled that shit with you. He's from fucking Detroit. <laughs> He was just doing that to like, everybody. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I'm not know. sure if he I thought. I guess he was not. Uh, he was not uh, breaking kayfabe, as they would say in the I, rest of the I world. wonder if that was it, or if he just thought he could like sell more merch if he was actually Jamaican, like if he was the character. Yeah, I need you to buy some of my products. <laughs> uh, I got to eat my tins. But you know, the weird thing is that's another guy that doesn't do a whole lot of conventions. No, like, you don't I mean, see that guy do shit. Um. Like I said, we met almost, I think it was the entire cast that was still around. The only one that I, that I never did get to meet was uh, Howard Sherman, Sherman Howard, however you want to say it. Yeah, and he does a lot of, or he did a lot of conventions. Yeah. I don't think he He's does the that. only one that I don't have on that Day of the Dead poster. I think I've got everybody else. Like I know Terry Alexander, the Jarl uh, the Conroy was there. I met Lori Cardell like two or three times. Romero, By the way, Sabini. nicest woman ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no doubt. So, yeah, I mean, Day of the Dead, like, it's, all time, it's another all-time classic. I love Day of the Dead. I actually watched it too much, though. I kind of got burnt out on it for a while. You can, yeah. Yeah, and, yeah it, it's the perfect, it should have ended there, I guess. Like, from a Star Wars perspective, you could say the same thing about the fucking Star Wars movies, but it, yeah, that's I mean, where we'll, it, we'll talk a little bit about, um, you know, the, the I guess the second Dead trilogy that Romero did a little bit here in a little bit. But uh, shortly after Day of the Dead, we... We touched on Monkey Shines. Um, again, that's another one that, uh, for some reason, in uh, the late, you know, the early, the mid to late 80s, there was a fascination with monkeys. Like, do you remember this? You're talking about, like, Clint Eastwood movies and stuff? Well, the, not only that, but Michael Jackson had Bubbles. <laughs> they had the Project X movie with yep. uh, Matthew Broderick was out. Had that damn orangutan from like every which way but loose and all that stuff. Yeah, I mean, there was like a big monkey thing going on. I hadn't thought about it, but you're right. And this, um, this was kind of like, yeah, okay, you all are into monkeys, so what do you do when the monkeys go bad? And that was kind of monkey shines. Like this guy, he was like, what was he, a quadriplegic? Yeah. And uh, goddamn, he got an assisted, fatal attraction monkey. Yeah, he got an assisted <laughs> monkey that, um, and it's true too. I mean, they were talking about this. I think it. Uh, we were talking to George Romero about it in an interview. It was actually. yeah, that's a real thing. Really. Like they were actually doing that with with these little spider monkeys or whatever the fuck it was, whatever kind of monkey it was, where they would assist, you know, um, handicapped with you know day to day things that they would need you know go get them something to drink basically be their bitch yeah basically i just want to know how that how the fuck do you even think of that idea for a horror movie though all right the guy he's a quadriplegic he needs a uh monkey to help him with his shit but the monkey gets jealous turns into a fatal yeah. attraction monkey yeah it's like and starts killing people and then gets so mad at him that he tries to kill the That's so awesome like a little fucking spider monkey like I won't kill you, fucker. Fuck you. Get away from me, Glenn Close monkey. <laughs> but I always had a soft 
spot in my heart for Monkey Shines. And I think Scream Factory actually has a Blu-ray of that out. I've got it. Do you? Yeah, sadly enough. I got all the Romero, but I got the dark half. The, on the funny movie. thing that I remember, like, Monkey Shines was one of the first five DVDs I ever bought. Really? Back in the day, yeah. Because they didn't have a whole lot out, like, especially horror stuff, which is mainly the reason I got a DVD player. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it was, like, top probably four or five first ones that I ever bought. MGM had it out, oddly enough, in, like, 98 99 right when dvds first came out that was one of the first dvds for some reason i have no idea i do though i encourage people to go back and watch that movie again because it's not as bad as people make it out to be you're like people talk about it the ending especially is awesome like it's that, that ending is fucking to use a phrase brutal well the thing is too um it was another kind of mainstream movie that Romero did. Like that was a that was actually out in a lot of theaters in eighty eight. It's just an odd choice for a fucking mainstream movie, though, isn't it? I yeah, mean, that whole plot about just... so continuing on though. Right after that, um, he made Two Evil Eyes, which they feature that movie quite a bit in the Document of the Dead. Um, the you know the end the end scene with the uh, what was it that he dropped? It was like the... a big. I can't remember what it was. It, it was like, like a, a big it looked like clock an award or something, or something, like something but it know. was like a pointed kind but of. Yeah, like a it was fe- it was featured heavily in that. The movie's okay. It's like an anthology movie. I, I mean, it's okay. Like it's not one of my favorites. I don't remember a fucking thing about that movie other than that part that you right talked because about. they cover it in document. I love Document of the Dead, so that mm-hmm. was the only. But it's, it, I mean, it's okay. It's, uh, I think it was just a two parter. It should have right? been amazing, but it's just one of those movies I. If I watched it a hundred times, I couldn't tell you a week later what the fuck was in that movie. It just doesn't stick with you. Yeah. So, I mean, he didn't really have much success with that. He also had The Dark Half, which was uh, a couple of years afterwards. Didn't really have much success with that either. Look, look here. Look here. What? So I bought The Dark Half from Shout Factory when all that shit was coming out, right? Because it's Romero. Movie. Right, and you were pissed off that you spent that much money on it. The opposite. Like, I was surprised at how good it was. I hadn't seen that movie probably in, like, 15 years or something like that. Are you a big Timothy Hutton fan? No, but it's not that bad of a fucking movie. It's really not. Like, it's got a really weird subplot where all these crows and stuff show up. Uh Like, right before he turns into the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, before he turns into the Mr. Hyde character or whatever. All these, it's just, it's, it is a creepy movie. I really don't think that it gets as much credit as it deserves. It's not an amazing movie by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a solid fucking movie for that time. Robert Dick Joy's actually in it though. That's a good thing. Is he? Yeah. Says he's in it. I, I haven't seen that movie since probably it came out or not long after it came out. I want you to watch it. Yeah. Well, give me your Scream Factory Blu-ray. I'll, I'll let you borrow it. I ain't gonna fucking give it. Did here. you get the Scream Factory release for Bruiser in 2000? No. When it came out? I didn't either. Again, this is a Romero tribute show, so I don't really want to talk about Bruiser. <laughs> yeah, it'd probably be the best. Just skip it. So, 2005, Land of the Dead came out. This was shortly after 2004's Dawn of the Dead remake, which I guess got people interested in, hey, George Romero, he's, he's around. Let's get him. He's still in good health. He, he can, let's get him back in the director's chair. <laughs> is that what they say? Yeah. Uh, he's basically, you know, he's, he's there. Let's yeah. get him. Let's book him. So, 
My fa- the fondest memory I have of Land of the Dead, and I don't know if you still remember this, getting a crew together to go to the theater and see a George Romero movie in the theater, which I'd never done before when it was new, you know. So I think it was me, your dad. You remember this? Is I this do. the right one? Yeah, and Jared and you yep. all went to the theater on opening night. Which you have to understand, head. that's like seeing fucking Bigfoot or something. To have that group of people together at the same time. Right. Yeah, that doesn't happen too often. Hasn't happened since, actually. No. And he, I mean, I think that may have been the last time my dad went to the fucking movie. <laughs> <laughs> it's possible that it is. Right. Um, Because we had seen all those movies together, actually. That was like one thing that was, we consistently loved Romero's zombie movies. And we want to see that one. So here's what I'm going to say. Yes, this is a Romero tribute show that movie reminds me of what jim Cornette recently said he said somebody used to say to him uh i used to think you were a dumb fuck but then like as time went by i was around so many other dumb fucks that you kind of moved up the list right that's what i feel about that movie it's like if if survival of the dead and diary of the dead hadn't came out i would probably hate that movie but i actually think now, if you compare it to all those movies, it's not that bad. Well, the thing about Land of the Dead now that's different from those the last two, that movie had a large budget. It I did, mean, Compared yeah. to like Survival of the Dead, which, I mean, I'm not going to... I've watched it one time. We're going to leave it... I'm not going to say too much, because like I said, this is a Romero tribute show. Land of the Dead, I think if they would have tweaked a couple of things, it would have been way, way better than it was. It's, um, it just kind of felt like to me, like... They wanted him to make a Hollywood movie, but he didn't really know how to make a Hollywood movie in terms of like, I mean, he knew how to make a movie, but there are other factors into it. They get actors in there that I'm positive. He probably didn't want to be in there and who were just kind of at studios wanting to be in there. It's just such a weird. Yeah. I mean, there's some very cool stuff though in land of the dead. Like the, the set design, man is fucking amazing. Like it just looks awesome. Yeah. The zombies in it that KMB Nicotero did, like the even the I'll put it over even the animatronic zombie stuff that that, that you see in it, it's fucking unreal. Yeah. Like it's a shame that you don't see stuff like you don't see fucking zombie movies anymore. You see the zombie, the goddamn fucking Walking Dead. <laughs> that takes care of everything zombie related. Nobody else can. <laughs> they got can do a monopoly anything. on zombies yeah. and shit. So Land of the Dead, I mean, it is what it is. Like I think like. Comparing it to the last two films of the of the second Dead trilogy that he did, it's the best one of the three. Oh, <laughs> by yeah. far, yeah. And uh, there's a lot of good parts about that movie. Actually, now looking back at it, um, not necessarily. I think the message behind the film was good. It's just kind of the way they executed the film, and I really think the acting in that movie and the miscasting uh, is probably the two worst things about that yeah. movie. Yeah. But the idea behind the movie was great. And it should have been like a fitting kind of fourth installment of that series in the way that it was set up. Just wasn't. Yeah, it was a fun, like I, I still remember and have good memories of going to the theater and seeing it. Um, and it, I mean, that would be the, uh, again, the other two movies that came out since they didn't hit, like, I mean, they did, they probably hit 12 theaters or something, but they didn't hit nationwide. You know, they didn't come to Pikeville. Yeah. So, but, just keep in mind though when we're talking about these movies it really doesn't in any way reflect on 
how that we feel about him as a filmmaker or anything like that. It's just you ain't going to have a career that spans 40-some years and there not be some movies that aren't great. So he did, like, a couple years after that, he did these three, like, every every two years. Diary of the Dead, which is kind of like um, um, a shot on video, kind of, but not really. Um, zombie movie, which I would rank second, possibly. I mean, I think that it, it also had promise. You could have changed a couple things around, and it would have would have improved it a little bit. If you, it's just that style of filmmaking to me. Yeah, I mean it's a good concept. Yeah, but on paper, I guess it sounded better than what it actually. And I'm just sitting there wondering myself, why is why is he making a film like this? Though, like one of the best. Yeah, kind of like what everybody was doing at the time. Because that was like right when what Paranormal Activity was getting all those popular kind of movies like that. Yeah, that were ripping off Blair Witch concepts and whatnot. Continuing on to what would be his last movie, at least to date, I don't think he was working on anything like post production. So it's it's his last movie. Was Survival of the Dead in two thousand nine. Um I mean, I've watched it one time. I could barely get through it the first time. It's it like we're you could tweak things with Land and Diary of the Dead. I don't know of anything you could tweak with Survival of the Dead that would have made it a good movie to me. I mean, it was just like I didn't give a shit. Like it was they had like a, a family rivalry in it. I remember that. I remember the wasn't there a zombie horse in it? Yes. Okay. That's there, dumb. <laughs> there's just too much packed into that movie that I guess it's it is trying to make a statement. It's just there's so much in it that uh it's not trying to make a clear statement. I'll say It'll that. It'll make your dick hurt. <laughs> is that the review? Yeah. Yeah, I think the less we talk about that movie, the better. No, I mean, the thing is, like, I don't want to... Because we've bashed those movies back when they came out. Because they're yeah. not good, ultimately. But at the end of the day, I mean, it's a celebration of a guy's career who, um, you know, he lived a long, full life and he gave us a lot of entertaining movies over the years. And we just wanted to do a, a special show just for him um, to, you know, kind of dedicate and um, just be in, in in remembrance of George A. Romero. And he, like I said at the top, he is one of the four iconic kind of film directors to come from our era, I guess. <clears throat> like an era when we were growing up, he was making all these films. And my personal favorite uh, of those four, probably just because, I mean, it's always neck and neck with him and Carpenter, but I just feel like that he was much more of the likable, approachable, kind of down to earth guy right. making those type of films than than Carpenter and across the board. Yeah, like, just everything about it. It was weird because when we met Carpenter in person, he was kind of a dick, but when we talked to him, he was fine. Like he was just like a regular. You would never think that. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe he's on his period that time. Could be. But, um, like I said, I don't think that we'll ever see somebody that just creates an entire fucking genre of films like that again. 
And if we do, I mean, we thought we would have seen it by now, but I, I don't know of anybody that created a new monster. I mean, you look back at, like, everything before that was really, like, universal monsters and things like Frankenstein, the Wolfman. That comes along, and then, you know, a couple other movies come along, and it all changes. But he actually created, like, a new classic monster, which I don't think you'll see again. I don't even know how that could happen again at this point. I guess it could, but... You know, not in well, a film Kevin like Smith that. created the shit demon. He did create the uh, living walrus, too. The, yeah, he's created all kinds of them. Yeah. Created a bunch but, of shitty movies <laughs> in the last five years. <laughs> but, I, I mean, I just, I don't even know what to say at this point. Like, of everybody that's passed away, this is the worst one by far. And I hope that people out there realize, like, how many classic movies that guy made, what an impression that he made on the genre, and what an impression that he made on people that like horror films. I don't think that there'll ever be another guy that does those kind of films like that again. I don't think you can. No. I mean, the, the, the genre itself is in such a weird spot right now. Because you don't see many movies even coming out, like horror movies that even come out in the theater. And the ones that do, you're scratching your head like, how? I mean, the bye-bye man, come on. And there's one, what's the one, the Wishmaster ripoff that's coming out? Fuck, I don't know. Uh, Make-A-Wish or something like that's the name of it. <laughs> is that the I name of it? it? Yeah, I think it is. Is John Cena like, in it? Yeah, that's what it is. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's, it's uh, WWE Studio Films. That's a killer idea for a horror film I just came up with. Make a wish. That's where you're like, there's a... <laughs> it's I'm probably going, not called I'm going to hell for this immediately. There's like a murder that only kills Make-A-Wish kids. <laughs> Come here, Ricky. Uh, Fuck you. But, your throat. <laughs> God. Oh. Uh, <laughs> here you go. Anyway. You go. Your wish will be your nightmare. <laughs> there's the tagline yeah. right there. So anyway, I mean, that is it for episode six. Um, we will be back hopefully soon again. Don't get used to, um, you know, these, these close, like what almost weekly episodes the last couple have been probably, you know, it's, uh, kind of, I would say maybe every like once a month, maybe twice a month on occasion, something Mm -hmm. like that. Because we don't have time to do it every week anymore, unfortunately. I wish we did. I wish we could go back to those days where we didn't have to fucking work. That'd be nice. Didn't do anything. Um, but at the same time, there's not a whole lot to talk about either. I mean, uh, uh, this episode, unfortunate, unfortunate circumstances, you know, gave us, uh, you know, we could talk about the career of George Romero, which is, and it's a guy that we met a few times and, and had a great interview with. If you want to check the interview out, it is in the archive section. Just look back to uh, October 2007, which is almost 10 years ago. It's crazy. That's weird. It's crazy. So, I mean, that's one of the bad things, though, man, about getting older. And we've talked about this before is seeing all like, you know, it can be your family. It can be your heroes that you, you know, that you followed growing up, uh, pass away kind of, you know, one by one. I mean, uh, it's kind of the shitty thing about getting older. It's getting weird to the point now where these are people like 
who are were huge in some area of our lives at this point. Like before, it was just you know maybe one or two people growing up, you know, even in your twenties and stuff. Maybe like one or two people from some band that you kind of liked or something. Now it's getting to the point where motherfuckers like Lemmy and Dio are right. dying musically. Macho Man. Yeah, like big name wrestlers. Fucking Romero. Like, I would have never I know. pictured that. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's sad, man. I mean, most a lot of the people that we've interviewed on the Dead Pit show have passed away, too. Like, you know, yeah. you had Angus passing away. We interviewed Bob Clark like maybe a couple of months before he passed away. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot. There's actually quite probably a few. The, Lou Perryman's probably the worst. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot. He got of... killed. Yeah. <sighs> so, I mean, again, uh, rest in peace, George Romero. I hope everyone enjoyed this show, uh, and hopefully we'll be back uh, soon with another episode um, uh, to just talk whatever horror movies. We can talk about music. We can talk about porn. This is kind of, a, you know. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be horror films because that'd be a short fucking We've got show. all kinds of shit. Hey, look, that's the thing. That's why it's an evening with Dead Pit because it doesn't have to strictly be horror. It can be any damn thing we want to talk about. Can we talk about Wonder Woman? It's an evening. We're here. We're here. We've got our lounge tire on. I'm sipping some fucking vodka and orange juice, and we're just relaxing, talking, talking to shit. <laughs> That'd be an interesting thing to bring back as the drunken commentary. Although I think I'd probably fucking die at this point. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't really drink that much anymore. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we appreciate everybody uh, tuning in and we will see you uh, on episode seven of an evening with Dead Pit on deadpit.com. <laughs> <laughs>